say staying in love. Come on, say it like you got some soul, like staying in love. Like you're a player, you know what I mean? Like staying in love. And then do your eyebrows like that at the end. Anyway, uh, so glad you're here. Part two of a uh, four-week series called Staying in Love. If you were not here last week, I'd encourage you to go get uh, a CD from the back or go watch it online. We are talking about the challenge that we all face. Uh, we, we live in a society, let's be honest, where almost 50% of all marriages end in divorce. I mean, that is almost like getting to the altar and saying, all right, babe, here we go, flip the coin. And it's kind of sad, it's kind of depressing. And when we look at maybe what our parents went through or what our friends have gone through or maybe what we've gone through already, it can get kind of depressing. And we, we start to become skeptical. We become skeptical of the idea, can two people really make love last a lifetime? Like, can we, can we get some, some old people up in here still holding hands? And that's what we want. We, we point, and, and, and so that, that, that's what we want. We all want that. Because what we, we don't, what we don't want is, we don't want the divorce thing, but we also don't want to live the rest of our lives miserable with the one that we're stuck with. That's not, that's not what we're talking about either. We're not talking about just, I'm so mad at her, but I'm going to stick it out because I said I do, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And that's not what we're talking about either. I'm talking about, loving someone a lifetime and the challenge that we are all faced with. And Jesus, in, in, in light of all the skepticism and all the turmoil and all the divorce rate and all that, he speaks 2,000 years ago and he basically says that the, the foundation of all human relationships is the notion of loving another person. And so he says these words, he goes, I want, here's what I want you to do. This is like the new command I'm giving you. I want you to love one another. Not like the world loves. I mean, anybody can do that. I mean, lo- loving like the world loves is in essence like saying, um, I'm going to love you as long as it benefits me. I'm going to love you as long as I'm getting something out of this partnership. I'm going to love you as long as you love me. I'm gonna lo- there, there's all these different ways the world defines love. So Jesus, Jesus takes that excuse out. We're not allowed to love our spouse on our own terms and our own definitions. We have to love on Jesus' terms and Jesus' definitions of love, which is amazing because when Jesus talks about love, this is what you need to remember. This is the most important part of this scripture is that love is not a noun. It's not a thing. Now, culture teaches you it's a thing, right? That's why you fall into it because it's a thing. You can fall into it like a swimming pool or fall out of it like a high chair. You can just, fall, it's a thing. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, that's, that's, we're already wrecked now. We're already down the wrong path that's going to lead to disappointment. Love's not a noun. I don't care how you feel. I mean, I want you to feel good. I want you to feel great feelings towards the other person. But that's not where it begins. That's actually what follows what I'm going to tell you love is. And what we learned last week is this, is love is a what? Love is a verb. Like Jesus says, love one another. Like, I don't, not, he doesn't say, you know, feel a thing. He says, do a thing. Like love is defined by how you do, what you are saying, how you are treating another person. So when God looks at human relationships, he says, no, what are you doing to love? But then you would say, but I don't love them anymore. No, 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 you're talking about it now. I'm saying, what are you doing to love them now? Because the reason why you don't have the feelings is because you haven't been doing the actions. Feelings follow actions, not the other. Now, early on, it was, it was the other way around, right? Let's just be honest. Early on, you had that feeling. That love and feeling. You had that love and feeling early on because it was just energy and, and excitement and new things and all that. But see, as the relationship advances beyond, you know, six months, 
Feelings do not precede actions. About past six months, and especially in marriage, and after the seven-year hump, and after the first kid, especially after the third kid, that's crazy up in there. After all the, I'm telling you, feelings don't lead, feelings follow, actions lead. So you need to love them. As a matter of fact, if you're with your spouse right now, just turn to him and look at him and say, I verb you. <laughs> Straight up right now, right here, I verb you. And so by verbing somebody, that's how you create the feeling. But we're not trying to go for the feeling. We're trying to do what Jesus said to do, which was love one another. And today we're going to look at, here's, here's my take. I think Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 2 is, we, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to apply Philippians chapter 2 and we, we probably still wouldn't achieve it all. And so what I'm going to share with you today is going to seem incredibly lofty. Some of you out there are going to be like, that's just too ideal. That's an idealist. This is, this is a utopia, Todd. That's not the real world. I know. I live in the real world too. Here's, here's what I would say though. Number one is this. It is, it is possible. And number two, even if you're skeptical, this, this is the question I want you to sit back and ask yourself. As I talk about what I want you to do and what Paul says, how you engage in great, long, loving, lasting relationships. Even though you might think it's impossible, you have to at least ask yourself this question. Would I want to be loved like that? And you'll find yourself answering the question, yeah, we all would. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says. And I think, like I said, he takes a whole chapter to kind of put traction and teeth into that idea of loving another person. Are you ready? Philippians chapter 2, this is what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That right there, guys, this right here knocks most of us out of the drawing right there, doesn't it? Like do nothing, like nothing. In, in the Greek, nothing just means nothing. There's no trick words here. Nothing means nothing. So do nothing out of selfish ambition. This is, this is actually a word that if, if you study the, the, the ancient languages, the only other place this term is used is in a political sense of having to win at all cost. He's like, you can't live marriage needing to win all the time. Because you're going to lose. If you need to win, if you need to be right all the time, you're going to end up wrong. So when you think about all your human relationships, but again, like we learned last week, anytime we see scriptures that deal with how you treat another person, here's what we should all do if we're, if we're married. We should, in all caps, write SPOUSE right next to those scriptures. And here's why. It's because many times we will read scriptures about how to treat other people and we will default to, oh, well, that's like, that's like people. That's like the world, like how I treat my neighbor, you know, the ethereal idea of who's your neighbor and how do I treat other people? No, no, no. Here's why these scriptures apply even more to your relationship with your spouse. And it's because of the sheer proximity. You will need these scriptures more than anybody else. Because your coworker, you can leave them at five o'clock. Your neighbor, you can close the blinds. You don't have to go to that, that block party. You don't have to. There's a lot of people you can avoid and create space and create boundaries. But that other person, you share a closet and a bathroom with them. And that ain't easy. So be careful when you look at these scriptures not to say, well, that's people. No, no, no. This is people and it's the, it's the opposite sex person living up in your house. That's who this people is. So be careful when you get into, into dynamics where you have to compete and you have to win and you have to always be right. Or, or even the idea of vain conceit or what they do in the King James is vain glory. It means having to like be better than or one up another person. You ever see this? You ever see like... 
like, this is funny. Like, a couple comes home, and they, they kind of, like, reunite at the end of the day. Like, you know, they're frustrated. They're mad with each other, and, and they're grumpy towards each other. Like, how was your day? Well, these kids and this, and you know what? You ought to be doing this and that. And why didn't you do this? Now? Well, did you know what my day was like? You don't have to do this and this, and you don't know what it's like. We just keep one-upping one another, don't we? You ever been there? Just other people. But the idea of having to win, having to be right, having to one-up, having, hey, you, ever, you just have to correct all the time. Like, your spouse ever tell a story? And they all, do you have the spouse that always tells the story wrong? Like, get the details wrong, it's the wrong day of the week, it was the wrong time, it was the wrong color, it was the wrong whatever. And, and, and while they're telling the story, like, no, 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 baby, no, no, it was this. It wasn't, it wasn't a blue one, it was a red one, it was five in the afternoon, no, 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 that was two years ago, not last year. I'm that person, okay? Leave us alone. Okay? Don't have to be right all the time. Just let us be wrong. It ain't hurt nothing for us to be dumb about the details, okay? Just, and, and here's, here's why. It's because when we decide we need to win, we need to be right, it makes the other person wrong and them a loser. And he goes, that's not how you engage. Now, if you just want to beat somebody or get up on somebody's nerves, then that's fine. Which am I loving somebody? Here's the opposite. I, I barely do half the scripture. Here's the opposite. But rather in humility, value others above yourself. That's the hard part right there. That's the opposite, isn't it? Like the opposite of having to win and to be right would be to humble. And humility by definition, if, if we're going to track together today, is this. Humility is not pushing yourself down lower. Humility is lifting them up higher. Does that make sense? So when I say value others above yourself, I'm not saying to devalue you. You are incredibly valued. I never want you to devalue you. I just want you to elevate them a little bit more. Like you're a 10. Everybody say, everybody say I'm a 10. Say, I'm awesome. God loves me. I'm pretty amazing. Okay, they're 10.5. Does that make sense? Like, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's, Paul's not saying you're awful and you should just be this, this worm of a person. No, 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 no. Paul says you're awesome. But if you really want to have lasting relationships, make them just a little bit more awesome. Value them above yourself. Here's, here's the best way, because you already know how to do this. The things I'm going to talk about today, you already know how to do this. The problem we have is we don't know how to do this towards the spouse. Does that make sense? The spouse is the one that we have a hard time doing this with. Have you ever been in a room where you are not the most important person? Okay, good. I was just checking. Some of you I didn't know. Some of you are really awesome. So... Let me give you an example. You ever been to a wedding? Were you the most important person in the room? No, -uh, that girl with the white dress on was. And the guy was like a rung or two lower than that, wasn't it? Like he didn't even matter. Because as a matter of fact, when you went to the wedding, people stood in line to shake their hand. Nobody stood in line to talk to you. When, when they, people took pictures with this other person, this person got to have the cake and the white, don't you dare show up at that, that, that wedding with another white dress on. Or don't be like that. That person was the most... And what did you do when you were in a room where someone was more important than you? What did you do to them? You deferred to them. You gave them preferential treatment. You gave them first dibs. You gave them shotgun. You gave them, you gave them the last chip in the bag. You gave them the last cookie. You gave them the last slice of cake. You gave, you gave them whatever they wanted. Why? The most important person in the room. You ever been to your boss's house for dinner or something like that? 
Yeah, so you just knew you weren't the most important person in the room. You ever been around somebody of incredible greatness? Maybe it was like just somebody of status. Maybe it was like a celebrity or a sports figure or somebody. You ever been around them? What did you do? Did you jump in and be like, no, 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 it was blue. It wasn't red, it was blue. Did you do that to them? Probably not. I hope you didn't. That or we have just a different set of issues to deal with today, but let's just assume you did it. What did you do? You actually preferred them above yourself. And this is what Paul's saying. He goes, I want you to treat your spouse like that. I want you to look at your spouse and say, you know what? They're more important than me. And I'm telling you, because the kickback is this. Kickback is like, Todd, that is impossible. Improbable, maybe. Hard, yeah. Impossible, no. Because God will help you do it. And God's even modeled the way for you already, as we will soon see. But what I want you to do, what the apostle Paul wants you to do, is take a look at the other person and say, you're, you're more important than me. And if you have two people in a relationship that do that, that's incredible, that is powerful, that is amazing. And the kickback is this, because some of you say, well, I, I know that I, I'd like to do this, but my spouse would never do this. My, my spouse in here at church, or my spouse doesn't believe, or my spouse is just a, a, a pain in the butt, or whatever your terminology is. I would do that, but they wouldn't. That's okay, do it anyway. Jesus never gives caveats, does he? He never gives like, love one another as long as it's reciprocated. No, no, he just says, do it. It'll, in the long run, it'll benefit you. In the long run, it'll benefit them too. In the long run, it'll all be better. Just, just trust Jesus is all I would really, really say. Because what you're gonna say is, but if I lived like this, Todd, they'd take advantage of me. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Who wouldn't want somebody treating them like this all the time? But that's not the concern Jesus. He says, no, no, just, just, just love them. And this is how we're to treat our spouse. This is how we're to treat other people. Because let's be honest, let's just be real here. Many of us treat our dog better than we treat our spouse at times. Like, you don't yell at your dog like that. You don't call your dog names like that. You love that dog. He is your best friend. Some of you, some of you are like that with your friends though. And, 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 and I get it. It's proximity. It's hard. There's too much tension. Do you know what he did? Do you know what she said to me? Do you know what they did? Do you know what our history's been? I know, I know, I know. But you still treat your friends with more respect than you treat your husband. And that's an issue if you really want to have long lasting love. If you want to stay in love. You are to prefer them because you already know how to do that. Like I said, you already, you, does anybody have like their, their favorite possession? Like, how do you treat your favorite possession? You, you just take care of it. You study it, you learn it, you polish it, you, you, you do things with it. And you, you know, like, some of you guys are like, well, I keep it in my garage. Can I put her in my garage? No, uh, not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the care, the concern, the level of detail that you give the thing that is most special to you. Paul's saying, I want you to treat your spouse like that. Treat it differently, treat it carefully, treat it special. That's what I want you to do. Let's keep reading. Verse number four says this. He says, not looking. This, yeah, y'all thought we were done. Like, no, it gets harder. <laughs> Welcome to the ride. So verse number four, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Do you know what that means? That means you need to care about what they care about. Like if you want to have long lasting relationships, you need to care. And... Don't you act like this is easy because I know it's not. Like my wife loves the cooking channel. I like the golf channel. We're worlds apart. 
But I'm so proud of my wife because my wife allows and picks up some things and knows a little bit. And she can tell you the difference between an eagle and a birdie and then a par four and a par five. She can tell, she can t- why? Because she just cared enough, a little bit enough to at least put my interest in the realm of her thought process. Does that make sense? Like, like we have this, we got this thing. Um, so I bought a house last year and we have this side yard, right? And it is the perfect size for a hot tub. That's what I want. That's why, because ain't nothing like a, a soak. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't bathe, we take a soak. And if you're out there and you're a dude and you're judging me, I judge you back. A soak is amazing, okay? <laughs> there ain't nothing like, because I'm getting older now. I've learned, I know some of y'all will, will be mad at me because y'all think, y'all know what it's like when you're 60 and you can't feel your knee and you know, that kind of thing. I know, I know. But like even being at the age that I'm now, I'm still getting creaky and achy. And when you're creaky and achy, ain't nothing better than soak. And I'm thinking, man, babe, look at this space. We could put a hot tub right here. You know what she wants? A garden. A garden. Now, I will admit, I have failed miserably throughout the years and had moments of, of major fails and not putting my wife's needs above my own or her interest. I, I, this, is, this is the journey that I'm on. I'm on the... I, I, I've taken the, 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 the fifth year version of going to high school. Does that make sense? Like, it takes me a little bit longer. But I've learned over the years, like, I need to care about what she cares about. I need to have interest in what she's interested about. Like, it, it needs to matter a little bit. And so, you know what? When she said, I really want to garden you, I said, okay. It, t- it took a while. And I could tell you there was an internal struggle. But I mean, and, and not only that, like, I'm, a, I'm out in the garage building garden boxes. I got these, like, standing, why are you, don't be laughing at me like that. I got these standing garden boxes now. I've got this strawberry pyramid tower thing. I've got, I've got all this stuff. I'm spending money to have the yard redone so that we could get the garden just set. Does that make sense? That's her. Um, and here's my point. Like Paul is saying you need to put their interest at least on par, at least at the same level as your interest. This is almost like a little, little tidbit side nugget that he throws in here. Does that make sense? And, and again, I, I told you, you already know how to do this stuff. But go back to think about when you first started dating. You were into all kinds of stupid stuff that you didn't like just because you wanted to be around her. She would say stuff like, yeah, I'm, I'm a runner. I, I, I love running. You're like, I love running too. You're a liar. You have been running since you were in recess. No run. Go out, and, go out and buy some brand new shoes, hadn't broken them in, try to go for a jog. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a runner. That's just what I do. Some of you ladies are like, yeah, I like fishing. The devil is a liar. I never met a woman that really liked fishing. She just said that to humor you. But what she did was is she just acted as if and, and put your interest on par. You already know how to do this. Go back to doing what you used to do. This is, isn't this what Jesus said? If you go read the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is addressing a church. And this church, he says has lost its first love. You know what he's referring to? The love the way you used to feel it. Does that make sense? And what Jesus said then complements exactly what we're saying now, is that feelings will follow actions. Because he says to back that up, he goes, if you want to get that back, go back and do. Everybody say do. Go back and do the things you used to do. Go verb that thing again. He goes, the reason why you lost your first love and the reason why you lost the feeling is because you stopped doing the doing. But if you go back to doing the doing, you start feeling the feeling again because you need to verb that thing, quit feeling that thing. So go back to when you were young, 
or when you first met and how you used to have moves and you used to care and you used to do the makeup and you used to change down to three different outfits before you went on a date. You, used to, you didn't mail it in. You put their interest ahead of yours. You cared about them. You, you elevated them. That's where you've got to go back. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, now again, here's, here's the deal. I've already told you they're more important than you and that's how you need to live. And I know this is, this is what you're thinking. You're like, I just won't last. That's too ideal. I could work on Sunday morning from 10 to 11, Todd, but you don't know what she's like, you know, Wednesday nights or whatever it is. So, so Paul shifts gears here. The apostle Paul actually changes and then begins to tell you why and how it's going to happen. Are you ready? Verse number five. So in your relationships with one another, everybody say spouse. And if you're single, just, you should be taking notes. In your relationship with one another, or in this case, your spouse, have the same mindset as Jesus did, or have the same attitude that Jesus did. Okay, are we ready? This is now, now he's about to describe the attitude. This is the attitude that we take. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, this is kind of trippy here, because what he says is this, is that Jesus actually shows you and models for you the way in which you're supposed to do this thing. Because our natural instinct is to think, well, there's two people in this relationship, and so I'm at least 50% of this deal, right? And Jesus said, no, 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 actually, that's not how this works at all. You elevate them. If, they, if you value them more than you value yourself, they've taken on the greater percentage, Right? You would think, well, my deal's just as important than their deal. Jesus would know, actually, their deal's more important than your deal now. Why? Because you, you valued them above yourself and you put their interest above your own interest even. So like, you're not 50% no more. You're a little bit under that. And he goes on to say that, that God did not consider being equal with God, meaning his glory, his divinity, his majesty, his godness, that we don't really even understand. We can't even fully grasp that. He said, all the cool God stuff that makes God God, he goes, he didn't think that that was something to be used to his own advantage. And I'll prove it to you. Do you ever see Jesus in the scripture walking up into some place? Be like, hey, do you know who I am? I'd like that table. I'm the son of God. Wrap that up. Never once did he walk into a room and say, you need to, you need to shut up because you don't know who I am. You need to respect me. Do you know, do you know how awesome I am? Do you know I'm a son of God? Do you, I could smote you. I could, I, you know... I could do God things to you if you're not careful. This is kind of the thing that Jesus runs into here. And, and, and we do this in our marriage too. We try to leverage who we are in the relationship. Have you ever done this? You, you do this sometimes because you got, you, some of you guys will be like, well, well, do you know how much I, I make the money here? So you need to do this. And then the wife will be like, oh, well, I, I birthed them kids. I raised them kids up here. And, and what you're trying to do is you're trying, well, do you, well, look at all the debt you bought in the, brought in this relationship, how much I've had to pay off. And like, well, look at your, in, your parents. Your parents are all having to put up with them. And you got all this stuff. And what you're doing is this, is you're trying to create some leverage. This is what unhealthy relationships look like, by the way. Because whenever you're trying to create leverage, you're trying to win again. Does that make sense? And Paul already said, you got to stop trying to win because you're going to lose. And you got to stop trying to be right because you're going to be wrong. And... and, and and you can't win because you've got to prefer them above yourself. And so, so Jesus never plays the God card. He never tries to leverage who he is for the sake of winning or one-upping or being better than somebody else. Uh, let me help you real quick here. He already is better than everybody else, isn't he? 
Has Jesus ever been in a room where he was not the most important person in the room? No, but he never once leveraged it though. As a matter of fact, at the end of his time with his disciples, just to put a pretty bow on the package of his life, he sits down with his disciples, who clearly, he's the most important person in the room. And while he's the most important person in the room, he says, now let me show you how you treat other people. Let me show you how we're going to win the world. And he took off his outer garment, and he picked up a rag, and he grabbed a bucket, and he started washing feet. Now, who was the most important person in the room? Jesus. What position did he take? The lowest. He says, I'm gonna, you watch this. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus saying, I'm gonna elevate your needs above my own. I'm gonna make, now you're not more important than God, but, but watch what God does. God elevates your deal above his deal. Because in essence, this is the kind of dilemma that we're all being faced with anyway. Like the, the dilemma of me winning versus them winning or, or, or me giving up leverage so they have more. And Jesus said, I've already shown you the way. As a matter of fact, let, let's, keep, let's keep reading. Verse number seven says this. Rather, this is what Jesus did. He made himself nothing. Another translation says he emptied himself. Remember all that divinity, all that godness? He dumped it out. See, we talk about people, we might, man, they're so full of themselves. This says Jesus is so emptying of himself. And by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, meaning he literally stripped himself and dumbed himself down just so that he could get to your level. Verse number eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he, he humbled himself. Everybody say he humbled. This is a verb. It's not saying he was humble like it was a noun. No, no, he humbled himself, meaning it was an action. It was a decision. It was a choice. He chose to downgrade himself for your sake by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Now, here, here's, now here's the tension that Jesus is facing. This is why the scripture is in here. It's because Jesus is sitting back and thinking, okay, I can just be right. And just so you know, Jesus has always been right, hasn't he? Has Jesus ever been in a conversation in which he was wrong? Has Jesus ever been in a conversation where he got the date wrong or the time wrong or the color wrong? Or no, he's never once been in a moment where he had ever been wrong or been in a position to be corrected or whatever. He has always been right. He has always been God. He has always been majestic and wonderful and divine and all of those things. Now, here's the dilemma that was facing God, if we can even say this, because it's really not a dilemma because God is so God, he just overcomes it all. Are you ready? Is God could choose to hold on to that and say, no, I'm just going to keep on being right. And I don't have to come down to their level. I can just stay up here and I will always be majestic. I will be, but, but, but I could give that up and I could sacrifice that. Because if I hold on to being right and winning and being this, I won't have a relationship with them. Or what I could do is I could humble myself, lower myself, elevate their deal above my deal. And then we would have amazing relationships. And Jesus has now given you the blueprint for how you have awesome, love, loving, longing, lasting relationship as you elevate their deal above your deal. Because as long as you try to hold on to yours, you're gonna forfeit the relationship. Isn't that what Jesus had to choose between? I can keep on being God and keep on being right. That means they will always be wrong and I will always be able to judge them and I will be able to keep them in a place of punishment and keep, keep them at their distance and keep them in their sin. Or, or, or I can humble myself and die. 
And in doing that, I will have relationships. So the question you have to ask yourself is this. Do I want to be right? Or do I want to have a relationship that's loving, lasting, a lifetime? Because to have this, you'll have to give up that. You're going to have to give up your need to be right all the time. Your need to win all the time. Your, your need to be better than. Your need to leverage. Your need, you're going to give that up. That's the dilemma that God is putting you in when it comes to your spouse. And he's teaching you and modeling the way. Like you have to surrender. You have to give up. But they'll take advantage. I know they will. Didn't we take advantage of Jesus for crying out loud? That's not the issue. The issue is if you want to have long, loving, lasting relationship, it's going to require you to surrender and to give up, to elevate that person's deal above your deal, to elevate their needs above your needs. And when you see a relationship in which two people do this, it's powerful. It's amazing. It's inspiring. It makes us believe that love can last a lifetime. Now, now, real quick, does that mean you never argue? No, 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 no. Does that mean you ever bring things up? No, I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is we live a life where we treat them with honor, we treat them with respect, and we lift their deal above our deal. Have you ever seen, let's just be honest, have you ever seen the opposite? Have you ever seen the couple that was like bitter and nasty towards each other? It, it, it's almost repulsive. Like, like we, my wife and I had this couple that we would see um, they were an older couple and, and, and we would see them occasionally and per- periodically. And, and sure enough, every time we were around this couple, she would absolutely just demean and demasculate this guy. She would talk down to him and ridicule him. And not just when they thought no one was around. I mean, like right in front of us and the whole family. Absolutely demean him. And we would, we would be done. They would walk away and be like, oh my gosh, did you hear what she said to him? We're like in shock that they, like she would talk to him that way. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, baby, if you ever talk to me like that, like, I'm going to be working at the church pretty late, <laughs> pretty often. You know, like, if you, if you talk, like, that's just not how you would treat another person. That's not, now, now, again, does that mean you never get to bring up? You never get to discuss? You never get to challenge? You never, no, no, no. But you do it with the utmost of honor and respect and decency. Like I said, think about it. If you had somebody that you had incredible honor, incredible respect for, and you had an issue with them, how would you bring it up? You do it carefully. You do it cautiously. You would choose your words wisely. You would choose your words in such a way not to offend, wouldn't you? You would just change the way that you treated another person. My son um, jumped into bed last night. I'm on my laptop and, and, and right before bedtime, he jumps into my bed and uh, he comes up to me. And he goes, dad, what are you preaching about tomorrow? And he does this often to me every time I'm, I'm, I'm doing kind of Saturday finishing touches on the message. He comes up, what are you preaching on, man? I said, well, we're in a marriage series, buddy, so I don't think you're going to care about this. And so um, here, here's the funny story that I need to tell you. So the other night, I have, a, I have a married woman over at my house, and me and my wife are talking to her. And, um, and so I tell my son, who's 10 years old, I'm like, hey, you need to get in the other room. This is grown-up talk. And uh, go, go play with something. And, uh, and so he goes, well, I'm a grown-up. And I'm like, Yes, you are. Of course. Of course you are. You're, you're totally, you're a big guy. But, okay, let me do it. This is married talk. How about that? Because I was trying to be cool. I'm not trying to make him feel like a 10-year-old. I'm trying to make him feel big. So I'm like, you're big, but this is married talk. So how about this? This conversation is only for married people. And my son hates the idea of like not being in the mix. And so he goes to his room and he does really good. He probably lasts for what, about 15, 20 minutes or so. And then he comes back in the room uh, with the biggest grin on his face, and he had stolen one of his sister's um, dolls that was a girl. 
And he comes back in and, and he goes, hey, I just want you to know I got married. And, uh, and this is Rosie. This is my wife. And uh, we just wanted to fellowship with you guys. And, uh, and we couldn't help but laugh because we thought, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty clever. Um, this, is, this is like a week ago. So last night he, he jumps up into my bed. And I'm like, well, son, I'm, I'm doing a message on marriage. He goes, well, hey, look, me and Rosie have a lot to work on. He goes, what are you going to tell the people tomorrow? Now, now, here's what I found. I found that my son challenges me. Because when you have to articulate something to a 10-year-old, it challenges you to bring things down to the lowest common denominator and simplify things to its, its core. Uh, so, so as I read through these scriptures, I thought, how do I explain this to a 10-year-old? How do I explain this in the most simple terms possible? And so I wrote this in light of what I told him. This is what I wrote. This is the synopsis of what we've talked about today. I said, Peyton, when it comes to your spouse, you got to stop being selfish and drop your need to win. And rather, in humility, you've got to value them more than yourself. And whatever interest they have, they should be at least on par with your interest. And when it comes to your spouse, you should take the attitude of Jesus. And, and although he was greater, he didn't use that as leverage. But he actually became a servant and through humility gave his life sacrificially. This is the attitude you should have towards your spouse. That's it. This is my, you ever read the message Bible? This is the Todd Bible. This is how you take those eight verses and simplify them down to how then should I live? How then when I walk out of these doors, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to change? Now, if you're married, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I don't, I don't give homework assignments out much because I hated school. And so I imagine a lot of you are like me and you don't want homework. But I'm going to give you a homework assignment. This is only for married couples. If you're married, here's what I want you to go do. I want you to sometime later this afternoon, this evening before you go to bed, I want you to get out a notebook and a pen and I want you to begin to make a list of everything that you admire, like, or love about your spouse. Let me say that again. I want you to get out a pen and paper. I want you to make a list of everything you love, admire, respect about your spouse. I'm gonna tell you why. It's because life is challenging. It's because circumstances change. Somebody asked me earlier, like, why do we do a marriage series every year? I said, every year's different. Your circumstances have changed. Life has evolved. You've got, now all of a sudden your, your parents are sick or now you've got the extra kid or now there's that financial change and, and they lost their job. And so things are, life is always changing. So you always need to be refreshed and to be reminded about how it is that we do marriage. And so I, I'm telling you that life is going to change. Life is going to alter. I, I'm gonna tell you where, where I got this from. This is, this is something that my wife did when we first got married. This is why we're still together, by the way. Is when we first got together, I was not the amazing man you see before your eyes today. I had a, a, a few, a couple rough edges. And, and my wife made a list of all the things that she loved, liked, respected, or admired about me. And then later she updated the list. I don't know how many years went by. She, she updated the list. And I'll tell you why this list is important. It's just a simple, practical thing. And I want you to take this list and I want you to stick it in your Bible. I want you to stick it in your nights and stick it in some place where you would see it at least somewhat randomly and occasionally. I want you to pull it out. And I want you to remind yourself. Because see, what happens is, is when life changes and circumstances hit and the poop hits the fan, you like that, didn't you? When it, when it, when it hits the fan, you're going to need to go back and be reminded. Because in those moments, that's where it will be the most difficult to respect, to honor, to value them above yourself, to put their interest on par with your... It, that's where it's going to be the toughest. 
when the feeling is there, it's easy. If, if you're a young couple, like there's, I know there's a newlywed couple here today that I just married not too long ago. You probably got the feeling still, okay? And, and see, what happens when you're in the feeling, you get these false notions. You get like the notion I mentioned last week of no one has ever loved like we love. No one has ever felt what we felt. No one has ever, not Romeo and Juliet, no one. And the other notion that's dumb that you get is this. We will always feel like this towards each other. We're not like those other couples. We will never lose this. All right, all the married folk up in here be like, make a list. Make a list. Hey, everybody, get back in here next week. I want to encourage you. This series is not done. And, and, and we're going to move forward and talk about like the emotional aspect of things and how we deal and overcome and work through. But I want to encourage you. This is the blueprint. This is how we do it. We value others above ourselves. We put their interest on a par with our interests. We live sacrificially. We elevate their deal above our deal. And in doing so, I'm telling you, if we do that, we win. Well, think about it like this. How did Jesus accomplish salvation? He lost everything and died. And in doing so, he won everything. That's the key to lasting, loving relationships. Let's pray this morning. Father, I bless you today and thank you today for your words, their wisdom, their truth. God, the, the, the level of insight and impact. If we would just, God, cling to your words, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as we walk out of these doors, God. We, we, we've been given a, a tall task and a difficult challenge, but God, we know that you modeled it for us. You didn't ask us to do something that you didn't do yourself and that God, even in the midst of that, you will empower us. You will give us the strength and ability to pull this off, God. So we ask, Lord, God, give us the strength. Give us the ability to elevate our spouse above ourselves, to value them more than we value ourselves, to make their deal bigger than our deal. God, help us to remember that in the difficult times and the difficult moments, let these words be stuck back in the deep parts of our memory bank and Holy Spirit, rush them to the forefront when we need them. God, bring them back to our mind. Bring these scriptures back to memory. God, help us to have long, lasting, loving relationships, God as we follow your path, as we do your will, and as we live in your ways, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?